everybody welcome to dropping the gloves with yours truly john scott and tim the sleeveless wonder Wurzburger. tim are you trying to flex on me during this podcast what's the deal oh uh, no i'm getting these temperature swings with the the drugs that i'm on where i get super hot and then super cold and i can't get comfortable so right now i'm pretty hot and i the sleeve monster came through Oh, you are just flexing for I wish I wish the listeners could see what you look like right now. Well, maybe not because it would be so distracting. Oh, you're so handsome. I don't know if I'm going to be able to focus during this podcast. I'll do my best. I'll, I'll turn my how's camera off for you. How's the leg? Uh, it's okay. It's, it's not getting much better or worse. It's pretty steady. I have an appointment Monday morning to figure out, like, what they're going to do, they're going to take this soft bandage off and look at the, the recovery from the surgery, and then hopefully everything's going well under there, and then hopefully I'll get a hard cast put on so I can get the rest of my leg healed up and uh, just move on and get this going. Above the knee cast, you're going to be totally immobilized. It's going to be great. I'm very excited for you. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be awful. All the bike riding awful. and car driving you were thinking of doing are just gone out the window. My cousin is visiting next week for the weekend for Memorial day. And I rented bikes for us for him. I already have a bike. <laughs> I was planning like all these hikes. We're going to hit all these breweries around town and ride our bikes and do all this stuff. Can't do any of it. Of course he's still coming, but I don't know what we're going to do. You had to go out and get fancy on the ice and break your leg. <sighs> Not well, that's too bad. Anyways. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll catch you next week. Hopefully you got a better, handle on your leg tim well let's let's talk a little hockey so you're not the only one who got injured tim did you know that yeah i do know there, that there was some major major injuries and some scary ones so for the second playoffs in a row the toronto maple leafs had a player stretchered off the ice the first round game first game of the first round matchup for the montreal canadians john Tavares. A scary hit. I'm sure you've seen it, Tim. I'm sure everybody, all of our listeners have seen it. But if you haven't, Johnny Tavares breaking out of his defensive zone, takes a pass from the D-man, about to head up the ice, gets pushed by the Montreal D-man back into his zone, stumbles while he's falling down. Corey Perry, who is exiting his zone, doesn't see him, kicks, knees him right in the head. Like it, it, it could not have gotten any worse for John Tavares as far as momentum, inertia. Corey Perry's building up speed to back check. John Tavares is getting pushed back into the offensive zone for him, and it was just it was it was scary to look at. He he goes down immediately. The training staff comes out. This is the scariest part to me. They try to sit him up, and he is completely gone. He's not there, and he just buckles backwards, and his knees are gumby, and he's just. You can tell he's not there. It's very scary to watch. You, you never want to see a guy like that, you know, in that position. What did you think of the hit? Obviously, it wasn't dirty. There's no ill intentions there, right? Can we just get that out of the way? Absolutely. Just a, fl- a fluke accident, and Perry probably felt, you know, worse than anyone except for Tavares last night. So, there's n- it's not his fault whatsoever. What's your um, opinion on, A, the stick tap when the guy's getting stretchered off the ice – and B, the other opposing team coming up and giving him a little pat on the pants. What do you think about that? I like both of them. I mean, yeah. it's just a sign of respect. To be honest, like, Tavares is probably not even hearing the stick tap. He's not aware of it. And he probably doesn't know that Perry, like, skated up to him as he was being stretchered off. 
it's it's more for the individuals who are doing it. And I think it makes them feel a little better, gets them a little bit of uh, not closure, but just a little bit of uh, a way to deal with what's happening on the ice. I have no problem with it. I think it's a good show of sportsmanship. I get, I have a, not a huge issue. I'm just like, why? Like, who are you doing this for? Are you doing it for the player who's actually being stretchered up? Because he's obviously not okay. He's on a stretcher being wheeled out of the arena. So things aren't going good for him. Like I could see if the guy stands up and is, you know, skating back to the bench, but if he's on a stretcher, I think you just hold off on the stick taps. I never really got that. And then there's no fans in the stand. So it makes it even more obvious I just never could understand that. And the guy's going over and tapping him on the leg and tapping him. Like, what if he blew out his knee and you're just like tapping him on the knee and like, ah, oopsie, sorry. I just, I would just much rather guys just kind of watch and be somber and like, okay, you know what? This is a terrible situation. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being a, a Debbie Downer or such a pessimist. I just don't like it. Have you ever been on the ice or on the bench for like a real scary injury like that and have to like, how, how do guys, it must be so hard to see their buddy in this case, their captain. So helpless like that. Like, how do you, how do you stay focused for the rest of the game, especially for the rest of that period where you don't have like the locker room to go back and reset a little bit. Yeah. It's hard to regroup. I can't remember who got injured, but I, I have been a part of that a few times. My memory is just terrible, but it's uh it affects you, and you could tell it affected the Toronto Maple Leafs. They were not the same team that they were to begin the game, and not that they were like having a great game, but they you could tell their bubble just got deflated. They they weren't focusing on the game itself. Obviously, John is their captain. Tavares, that is, he's their captain. He's been around that team for years now. He he has kind of staked a claim as a leader of that team, so to speak. I know there's a couple other guys who. You know, hold that position as well. But he he's their captain. He's their leader. And when you see anything like that happen to your leader, it affects you. Especially when you have a group of kids, you know, the core of that team are kids. They can't help but be affected by this. You saw Austin Matthews on the bench almost at the the verge of tears. Like he he just was it, it's it's tough to see one of your friends, one of your teammates, your leaders getting stretched off the ice. So you could tell it, it affected the team. They weren't the same team after that. It, it was a completely different game. Toronto didn't have the mojo. Mitch Marner, I, I'd, it was the worst game I've seen him play in a long time. He was completely ineffective. He wasn't moving his feet. He wasn't involved in the play. And the good thing for Toronto, if there's any silver lining with this, is they can just throw this game away. They lost – they weren't expected to lose versus Montreal. They were the heavy favorites. They have an excuse now, okay? Everybody was rattled because Tavares got hurt, rightfully so. We could throw that away. Tavares, he's not going to be back for the rest of the series. I think we can just easily say that. The guy gets stretched off. He was out cold on the ice for a good 30 to 40 seconds. There's no way he's coming back in the series. Toronto has enough firepower. Galchenyuk kind of slots back into the lineup. They'll figure out their lines it's good to have an excuse. All right. Moving past that whole hit, I don't think Corey Perry intended to do it. He has a reputation, blah, blah, blah. What did you think of the answer? What did you think of the very next shift? Felino challenging Perry, Weber coming up, Perry saying, no, 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 I'll take care of this. They fight. What was your initial thoughts to that? And now even your thoughts now after you've had some time to kind of process it. I didn't like it. I mean, I don't think it's something that really needed a response. I don't think Perry had anything to answer for. I think nothing 
I don't think this really had much to do with the code. I'd be, you know, I want to hear your take on that, obviously. But, like, it was just a fluke injury. Why does Corey Perry have to answer for that? He wasn't doing anything that was putting Tavares in a dangerous position. He was just skating. Tavares came out, you know, right in front of his knee, and that, that's how it happens. And I get, like, um, you know, Felino after the game basically said, you know, I, I told him I knew it was an accident, but our captain's lying unconscious. I just wanted to – let him know that we had his back and, and put a little bit of closure on it. And I get that. And, and, you know, especially when he knows what he was brought there for, to bring that toughness, to bring that leadership, Felino I'm talking about. But I just – I don't know. It, it didn't really feel appropriate. It didn't really feel necessary. You know, kudos for Ferry for for answering that. And, and you know, I think he kind of did Felino a favor there by, by, by dropping it. But I just didn't like it. I don't think it was necessary. You know, I went back and forth on this. There's the old school thinking of me that's like, great, your captain gets injured regardless of the situation. Someone on their team just took out your captain for a, a good chunk of time. You have to make someone pay. There has to be retribution. That, that was my initial thinking. I'm like, oh, it's fine. But then I just, I don't know. I, I didn't like it either. The more I sat with it, the more I was like trying to reason with myself. I, I, I thought it was unnecessary. And I've, I don't know. For some reason, it just seems icky to me it's like there's this guy who's seriously hurt and now you're fighting I don't I don't know and the hit was like you said unintentional there was no ill will behind it I just it didn't sit right with me now I, I can find reasons for Felino for doing this like okay the team is completely off their game they are not focused on hockey they're wondering what Johnny's doing how is he at the hospital what's what's going on maybe the fight kind of snaps him back into the present maybe it goes okay Focus, we're in a hockey game. This is the playoffs. This is game one. We're, we have a goal here. We have to win this game. Maybe that was the reason behind it. I don't know. But, yeah, I, if, I didn't really care for it. What if it wasn't Corey Perry, too? Like, what if it was one of the smaller kids you don't fight at all? Like, what if it was Tatar or Suzuki or something? Like, is Felino asking them to fight in that situation? You, you would hope I mean? so. You would hope so. And, yes, Corey Perry does have that reputation, so maybe this adds to it. I'm sure Felino and Perry have had mix-ups along the way. They've played for long enough where I'm sure they've had altercations. But you, you would hope this would be across the board. But it, it kind of is funny. He should have asked Cherry out to fight because he's the one who kind of instigated the whole thing. He pushes Tavares. He falls down. Not that it's anybody's fault, but it's just funny that Perry gets – you know, the brunt of the fight just because he just was skating up the ice and Tavares got thrown into his kneecap. But, yeah, just short answer, no. I don't, I don't think it was a necessary fight. I didn't like it, really. I understand what Felina was trying to do. Good on Corey Perry for answering the bell. You could tell Perry didn't want to fight. Like, he grabbed on and he's like, all right, just punch me a couple of times and I'm just going to hold on. Like, it was – I think both of them did not want to fight and it just was one of those things where it's like, I think I should do this. I think this is the code. I, I need to do something. Maybe this is the right thing to do, so let's do it. You know, I, I think everyone didn't really know what to do. I think both teams think, were a little rattled. I think you nailed it, Felino. I think he just felt he needed to do something. He didn't really necessarily know what it was. I need to do something in this situation, and that was it. So that's probably a good way of thinking of it. Yeah, and he will take some heat. There's going to be the, you know, the – the softies were like, this is why hockey is this and that. It's like, I get it. Did it really accomplish anything? No. Will it put a closure on this? I don't think it needed to have closure on it, but it is what it is. He, he felt like he needed to do something and he did something. That's why hockey's so great. You're allowed to fight. They fought. No one got hurt. 
moving on. So the game was still 0-0 at that point. The, game one is very important. It sets the tone for this whole series. If Montreal ekes out a win, they get momentum. All they have to do is win three of the next six, which is a lot easier than winning four of the next six. So game one is a huge game. Having Tavares out, another big thing that the Toronto Maple Leafs had was the goaltending situation. Who was going to start game one for Toronto? Was it going to be the perennial starter, the guy who has been there before, countless playoff runs, Freddie Anderson? He plays excellent in playoffs usually. He has stumbled the last few years. Or was it going to be the young kid they get from L.A., Jack Campbell, who went on this historic run to start his Toronto Maple Leafs career, set records, beat Felix Potvin, all-time wins record in a row to start a career with Toronto Maple Leafs? Or was it going to be Dan Riddick, the guy from Calgary they brought in, just in case, just in case these two guys slip? We didn't know. Campbell gets to nod. I didn't like that choice. Now, mind you, Campbell played good. If you just go off of their record this season, how they've been playing, Campbell is ahead of Anderson. I don't think there's any debate there. I just think Anderson, he's your guy. You know what? You've, you've lived with this guy. You've died with this guy. You just, for some reason, maybe it's just me being nostalgic and I, and I want to show loyalty to the guy I've, I've gone there before with. And I, I just wanted to see Anderson between the pipes. Did you, or were you surprised to see Campbell or were you happy to see Campbell? No, I think Campbell was the right choice. Just given what he's done for this team down the stretch, how confident the guys are with him and net. And like, yeah, you've, you've had Anderson in the past, but I mean, you talk about, you mentioned like you want a playoff runs with Anderson, but you haven't really. Have you made it? Has Anderson made it out of the first round yet? <laughs> no, I guess the runs have been maybe seven games long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think Kimball's the right choice. And maybe, you know, when you have options like that, it's probably a short leash in terms of like, hey, a couple – a bad game here or there, a couple of bad periods, we get pulled and we're trying somebody else. But I think Campbell played well last night. I don't think he's the reason they lost at all, so. I agree. He played really well. He didn't, you know, do anything egregiously wrong. He saved the pucks he was supposed to save. The reason the Toronto Maple Leafs lost was their power play. 0 for 5 – Absolutely not existing, especially right with three minutes left. They get a power play. They pull the goalie. They have a six on four. Not effective whatsoever. If, if they have any chance of moving on, and yes, I think they're going to beat Montreal. Let's just get that out of the way. They're obviously going to come back. They're going to win. If they have any chance of getting past the Winnipeg Jets or the Edmonton Oilers or whoever, they need to get the power play going. Their five on five play has slipped. Their second line is kind of non-existent right now. They're a one-line team recently. And if they have any chance, again, they need some secondary scoring. They need your power play to, you know, start scoring a goal. If you have five opportunities, you got to put one in. You got to be at least 20%. That's what coaches harp on. Our special teams need to add up to 100%. 20% power play, 80% penalty kill. That's usually the metric where you try to shoot for. If you're 0% of the power play, that makes it pretty darn hard. And then you give up a shorthanded goal to Paul Byron to ice the game. You know, it's just not a good look. And then – on the other side of the coin, you're taking too many penalties. I've never seen a game where a team takes three delay a game penalties. Have you? <laughs> no. I don't know if they lowered the glass, if they got a new lie on their stick, or what it was. Three delay of game penalties in the playoffs. Do you think they're nervous a little bit? Do you think the – here's my – are they under so much pressure that they have been anointed the North Division that maybe they're squeezing the sticks a little bit tighter? Maybe they're they're feeling that pressure? 
Maybe. I think also Montreal was playing with such a chip on their shoulder. Like, no one was taking them seriously. No one was even – I mean, I think at, at most people were saying they could squeeze a game out of this series, and I think they just wanted it more last night. You saw that. You also saw Carey Price stand on his head too, which is what he can do. And there's very few goals in the league that can do that anymore, um, especially, you know, on a team like Montreal that, that needs him to step up like that. So I think, I think it had more to do with Montreal's play stepping up and playing better than Toronto, than Toronto not quite playing up the snuff. Even though, like you said, they, their first line wasn't there. Um, Joe Thornton, I think he, he had tur- turnovers that led to two Montreal goals. So yeah. talk about him in a minute. He's got to be better. Um I think, but I think mostly, yeah, I think it had to, to do with Montreal's play and um, and not backing down from an opponent that wasn't really giving them any kind of chance. Yeah, Montreal played well. They they played within themselves. They didn't try to do too many things crazy. You, you get a break with the Paul Byron play. Like you said, Joe Thornton trying to thread a pass across the blue line. Josh Anderson's gone. It's just a couple of mistakes here and there. That's all it takes. And that's, I've said this countless times. In the playoffs, your mistakes get magnified. You cannot hide in the playoffs. If you give up a goal, that's the game. Like, there's no, there's no gray area. There, there's no like, oh, well, maybe we can get back. No, this is the playoffs. If you lose one, two games, you're done. This is life or death. It literally, not life or death in the actual sense, but in the hockey sense. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. But I think, like you, you touched on, Carey Price, this guy, he can steal a series. And I bag on him a little bit just because he makes 10 million bucks and he hasn't played up to snuff for the last few years. But goodness gracious, when he is on, he is a very, very good goaltender. And he makes it look so easy, so effortless. He's always in position. His rebound control is exceptional. He doesn't give you second, third chances. He is really, really good. When he's seeing the puck, he's a big body. You don't get much net to shoot at. I don't know. Okay. Is there any chance Montreal wins this series? Uh, it's a non-zero chance. I mean, yeah, there's a chance. I, I, I don't think they're favorites, but I'll give them like a maybe 20, 30% chance. Do you – did they change your perception at all based on last game or is it last game just a complete throwaway because of just the momentum change and the injury and everything that went on with that? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to like – it's almost like if, if you were looking at a set of data, this would be like – an outlier, right? Because it's just because of the, 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 the variables involved. It's hard to take it seriously. Hard to really judge what Toronto's got when something like that happens. Um, but I think Montreal did impress me. And being one up, being up one nothing is a big deal. Um, and if by chance they get up 2 nothing, which I don't think is likely, but man, what, <laughs> imagine that. And I think it's really cool, too. We haven't talked about Edmonton yet, but the fact that Toronto and Edmonton are both down one nothing right now just kind of makes me giddy inside. I don't know about you. It is a little interesting. It makes me sad because I'm like, well, maybe we won't get to see McDavid and uh, Matthews. But let's move on to that series. We talked about Carey Price stealing a game, world-class goaltenders. Connor Hellebuck played pretty good. You, you go from one all-star to Connor Hellebuck, Vesna Trophy winner. He's a good goalie. He wasn't the story this game. The story of this game was the Winnipeg Jets just pretty much, I don't want to say smothering McDavid and Dreinsidel because they did get some, some chances, nothing crazy. They played really, really good defense against those two guys. You didn't see McDavid be able to build up much speed. He wasn't flying through the neutral zone like you usually see him do. They played it pretty tight, and I, I was actually really impressed by how Winnipeg game plan versus McDavid. They always shadowed his, his side. They had a guy on him. They didn't let him wind up. They collapsed on him as soon as he gets the puck. It was really smart defensively, and Edmonton didn't have any adjustments. 
They really did not. Winnipeg outplayed them. McDavid and Dreinsaitl would dash two each. Mike Smith struggled with his rebound control. Winnipeg, they played pretty well. Obviously, it was, it was a close game. It was a two-to-one game. Winnipeg gets some empty netters. Whatever. I still think Edmonton's the better team. I just think Connor Hellebuck played pretty well. McDavid and Dreinsaitl maybe had an off night. And Winnipeg, they played – it was a smart game. They played a smart, smart game. They didn't play outside of themselves. When they got chances, they buried. And there was only two, but they buried. And it makes this series a little more interesting. I said it throughout this year on the podcast. I was like, Winnipeg is the one team who could challenge Toronto. I kind of shifted my thought process as the season wore on when Edmonton improved. They got goaltending. They got defense. The scoring was coming. I was like, Edmonton's pretty good. They're going to be the challenger to Toronto. Now I don't know. These are two pretty solid teams going at it. And when you see Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley and those guys flying up and down the ice and you can get solid defenses, Logan Stanley's stepped in and played really well. Dylan DeMello's playing really well. You got Pionk, you got Poolman. Winnipeg's not a bad team, Tim. And a lot of mistakes get erased when you got Connor Hellbuck back there snagging shots and controlling rebounds where most goalies would have kicked him out in the slot and then it's a goal against. So, did you see anything from this game? What are your thoughts on this? What, what do you think went wrong with McDavid, Mr. MVP, Mr. 100 points in 50 games? Like, what, what happened? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I did not watch this game. Um, but I know that, you know, keeping McDavid and Dreisaitl off the stat sheet is quite an accomplishment. And I think top to bottom, Winnipeg has a better roster in terms of balance, in terms of having uh, four good lines and all that, I don't think Edmonton can really match that. So if McDavid and Drysdale aren't scoring, they've really got little else. I think I think this series gonna, is going to matter, you know, come down to that and also come down to the goaltending. Mike Smith didn't play badly, but Hellebuck just played better. And Hellebuck is just simply a better goalie. So if you think about what what Winnipeg needs to do and what, needs, what they need to get right to win this series, it's going to be a big part in shutting down. 97 and, tw- and 29 and Hellebuck outplaying Smith. And that's what went right for game one. And that's probably what their recipe for the rest of the series. Who do you see taking the series? I never got your pick for this one. Um, gosh, I don't know. I'm, I'm biased now because Winnipeg just won. So I'll say them. All right. I still think Edmonton will come back. I still think it'll be Edmonton Toronto coming out of the North to meet in the finals, which will be really fun to watch, but all right, moving on another injury, another a suspension looming another dirty vicious downright disgusting hit from Nazim Kadri the favorite of yours he did it to the Bruins countless times for some reason the guy loves getting suspended in the playoffs I don't know what it is maybe he just gets all jacked up he has an extra Red Bull I don't know the reasoning but he laid a vicious hit in the game versus St. Louis totally blindsided um, he's going to have an in-person hearing. What do you, I just shake my head. I'm like, okay, Kadri, what is it with these guys? Did they not learn from their past mistakes? This isn't the first, second, or third time Kadri's been in a situation like this. What did you think when you saw the hit? Because they had the, the game was already in hand. Colorado was going to win. There was no reason to finish his check like he did, the shot was already off. He comes through, picks his head cleanly. What's going? Th- like, what do you think? You obviously hate Kadri because of what he did with the Bruins, correct? Because you're a homer like that. No, I like Kadri, and I actually thinking last night. I'm like, why do I like Kadri despite all the, all that he's done? And I hate Tom Wilson so much. I don't know what it is, um, and maybe I need to you know do some introspection on that. I like Kadri. 
I think he's a good player. And I just, I, it's frustrating to see that he crosses the line so often, especially in the playoffs. The guy just hates the second round of the playoffs because he keeps getting suspended in the first round. And people are calling. He's got an in-person hearing. We haven't heard anything yet. But they're saying, you know, rest of the playoffs or rest of the series, like it's, it's going to be severe, whatever the punishment should be. And it probably should be, right, just given his history. Um, and it's just, it's just too bad. I'm sure uh, Colorado's frustrated because he's, he's such a good player and he's really important to them to balance out that second and third line and that second power play because he's just he's, – he's a tough matchup for other teams when he's just so talented. And, and, you know, you shut down that top line with McKinnon, Rantanen, but Kadri's right behind those guys, and he's not fun to play against either. So um, it was a bad hit. Uh, like you said, the shot was off. The game was out of hand. It was not necessary to do what he did. Uh, and I, and I, when I watched it, the first couple of times I watched it, I'm sort of like, I, what is all the – like, what's all the anger about? Like, I don't, I, the angle they were showing, I'm like, I, it's not that bad. But then you, you look at it from the right angle, it's just like, man, elbow, shoulder, to the head of a guy who's completely off balance taking a shot. Uh, not a good look. I think he'll get the book thrown at him, and, and probably rightfully so. It's too bad. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that. I always get upset after the hit in the aftermath. It's like, just go up and punch him as hard as you can in the face with your glove on. I just because Cadre's just leaning against the boards, and it happens all the time. The guy's like, "What? What?" It's like just go in there and just rip him one right in the face, please. Because he, he always does this. There's always scrums. I went back and I watched the DeBrusque incident, the, the the Tommy Wingles incident. He just stands there, and everybody goes over, and because his hands are at his side, no one really does anything, and they. Chara kind of wrestles with him a little bit and paws the back of his head, and no one really does anything. Rasmus was line and he did it to him, and Rasmus went over there and just kind of talked to him. I just want someone to drill him right in the face, just for just once, because he seems to do this. He's always in the middle of scrums, and I just want someone to rip one right in his face, a punch. Not a fart, not a not a slap shot, <laughs> just a punch right in the face. I don't know why he's got that that look after the, what what I do uh, uh, me. I'm like, you know what you did, you little jerk. You deserve a punch in the face. He needs one. He needs a punch. I hope Kyle Clifford. I hope St. Louis is up three four goals next game, and Kyle punches him right in the nose in a scrum. Gets two, gets five, whatever. He needs it. He needs a good one right down the pipe, right in that schnoz of his. It just bothered me after the scrum. He's just like, oh, what? Uh, it's fine. I don't think he's going to be there to even be punched, though. Next, maybe in the hallway. Maybe Kyle Clifford is a scratch. Punch him sometime. I think he gets uh, – I think he gets 12 games. Then he'll be back. Starting now? Starting now, he'll be back this playoffs. I think he gets 10 to 12. That's where my mark is at. I hope Peros does the right thing here and doesn't just give him five because he's nervous to suspend him in the playoffs. He has to do something. This is not his first or second occurrence. Like, this is this is a repeat offender. And it does stink that he doesn't lose any money in the playoffs. That's the thing that hurts for the players because you don't get paid in the playoffs. And Kadri's like, ah, I don't get to play in the playoffs, but I, I don't lose any money. So it's kind of lose-win in this in this situation. You this won't hurt Colorado. What's that? You can't be fined in the playoffs? Well, no, because your fine is based on the amount of games missed. You don't get fined. You just lose pay. But if you're not making any money in the playoffs, you don't lose any money. Anyways, I don't think this affects Colorado. I still think they're the vastly superior team. They played well. Grubauer's playing good. 
uh, Kale McCarr played great last game. They're going to win. Gabriel Landeskog, talk about a leader. Talk about just taking the bull by the horns. Did everything you asked of him. Fought, scored, assist. The guy, just that's what you want out of a leader. You follow him anywhere. Love that out of him. So Colorado is looking really good. They should sweep this series, especially – I think St. Louis will be distracted next game. They'll be a little flustered. I like what Colorado did. Let's just touch on a couple more series. The Vegas Golden Knights and the Minnesota Wild. Goodness gracious, the Wild should be up 3 nothing right now. I don't know. They play, they're playing good. They're getting scoring chances. They're, they're, they're not able to score. Vegas wins last game. It was a tale of two games. The first half of the game, the Wild were carrying the game. They were up 2 nothing. They were dominating play. That line with Greenway, Felino, and Erickson Eck, they are a very, very solid line. And they go against the Vegas' top line, and they are just dominating them. They scored a goal. It was disallowed by a stinking offside. I don't like that rule where you can go back and uh, three and a half minutes ago we were offside. If you want offense, just whatever. You know what I mean? If there's a human element to this, I don't like that. They should have been up 3 nothing. They should be up 2-1 in this series. It is what it is. The goal got disallowed. Vegas got some momentum. They came right back. They scored a ton of goals. Minnesota couldn't gain traction again. And here we are. Vegas has bounced back. They're up 2-1. to one. Jonas Prodeen was terrible last game. Absolutely atrocious. He's supposed to be one of their one-two Dumba Brodeen. He directly cost Minnesota two, maybe three goals last game. Zero spatial recognition in front of the net. No idea where his man is. Getting skated around. Just, I don't know what happened to him between games two and three, but he was awful. I, I, I can't wrap my head around how important he is for the Wild. They need to have their top four guys going. As much smoke as I was blowing up their behind after the first game, they're the key to the game for them. If their top four D-men aren't playing solid, they're not going to win. They really aren't. As much as Kaprizov, who had a really slick pass to Hartman this game, it was really, really nice. As much as they're playing, as much as Marcus Felino was buzzing and Greenway and those guys and everybody's clicking and Talbot's playing well, if those four guys aren't playing, they have no chance. And you saw it there. Brodeen had an off game. Vegas took advantage of it. Boom. That's another game in the dust. It leads me to this question. Is it time to get Zach Parisi back in the lineup? He's been a healthy scratch. He's waiting in the wings. Maybe you need some experience there. Maybe you need – and this has been the wild problem throughout the years. They can't generate scoring. They have a hard time, you know, consistently holding an attack. They've improved it this year drastically. Parisi's – He's got over 100 games experience in the playoffs. The guy's been there, done that. He knows what to do. He knows how to compete. Do you bring him back into the lineup? Tim? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> sorry, I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, because, like, like you said, you need that leadership. You need the, you know, the, the veteran. I'm sure he's going to be hungry. I'm sure he's you know, not happy not being in the lineup. It's not something that he's used to and over the course of his career, given the talent he has and the success he's had in the past. So, I could, I could see him injecting a little bit of energy and some scoring to the lineup and scoring one or two in that first game. Well, so, yeah, let's I'm not sure get he's... crazy. He's not going to score one or two, Tim. He's, you're getting a little bold comments there. Yeah, you don't think? He's going to be hungry. He knows how to score. You think he's going to come in the lineup? He's not Kucherov. He's going to just step in the lineup and score a couple. Maybe he – he gets an assist. I don't think he's going to make that drastic of a difference. This isn't the Zach Parisi of 2010. This is the Zach Parisi of 2021. 
The guy's got a lot of miles on his body. I think if you put him on a third line, fourth line role, he's able to give you a good 10, 12 minutes and maybe make a difference in the the special teams. Maybe. Okay. I think you bring him back just because he he was their captain until he got stripped and gave to Spurgeon. Now their former captain's literally eating hot dogs during the game. That's what he's doing. So that'll be interesting to see if Prezi gets back in the lineup. Another interesting stat, the Wild have led in every one of these games. If they were to figure out their issues, maybe they're just not there yet. Maybe they're not seasoned. Vegas has obviously been around the block. This core has been together for a few years now. They don't panic when they get down. They don't panic when they get ahead. Maybe Minnesota just needs a couple years. I don't know. But this is an interesting series. I, I really enjoy watching these games. It's, it's very entertaining. The bodies are flying. The boys are humming. I, I really, really enjoy it. Another, another series where it's getting a little heated is Pittsburgh and the New York Islanders. Much like the Vegas Golden Knights, the Penguins found themselves down one nothing. They come back. They win the next two. There's been so many scrums after the whistle. It's almost like the Islanders were down. They're like, you know what? We're going old school. We're going to start grabbing everybody's faces and every scrum. We're punching. We're grabbing hair. We're pulling. It's amazing how physical this series is, and the refs really aren't calling much. They're kind of letting them play. So it's entertaining series. Jeff Carter is playing like a horse. Like, what a pickup at the deadline. A sneaky, solid pickup. I said this when they got him. I said, this is a great pickup. And I, I'm not even going to acknowledge what you just said. I said, this is a great pickup, you Jeff Carter. You just did. You just did. <sighs> He's a, he's, a, he's a proven performer in the playoffs. He doesn't get rattled. He's a big body. He's got a heck of a shot. He is really, really playing well with Pittsburgh. He's got three goals, one assist in three games. And I, I am thoroughly impressed by Jeff Carter. I, I want to change my pick, but I still think the Islanders will come out ahead on this series. You, it's not just that he's scoring, but it's the way that he's scoring. Like His, his shot is still there. Absolute laser. Does he that shot over uh, – Tristan Jari's shoulder. It was just oh, so good. Well, not Tristan Jari. Sorry. He, that's his goalie, Tim. Oh, yeah. Uh, Varlamov. And um, and then and the timing of it, too. Like, I think he either tied – had a, a game-tying goal or the game – a go-ahead goal in the third period. Like, he's just – he's lights out. And I think – yeah, I mean, he, he – you can make the case so far he's been the best uh, deadline acquisition. I would think so. Yeah, he, he's made the biggest impact. He's slotted in on the, the top power play unit. He's playing with some high-end guys. He, he's a good player. You know, you know what you're getting out of Jeff Carter, which is the great thing. He's very consistent. He's kind of steady as she goes. He's got a sick shot. You know where you're going to get goals from him. And he, he's just a cool guy. He's one of those guys who you just want to be like, let's go have a beer. Like, you probably are unreal. You know what I mean? He just looks like a cool guy. And those guys are always successful. I did not look like a cool guy. I looked like a guy who was just lost always out there. I'm like, should I even be here? All right, let's touch on one more series, and I know you got to go do your push-ups. I get it. You keep flexing on me. I understand what you're trying to do, Tim. It's not working. You can't intimidate me through the screen. Not anymore. You sound a little rattled. You sound rattled. I'm a little intimidated, but I'm not going to admit it. The Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning, we got ourselves a series. I love a 2-1 series. I don't like a 3-0 series. I love a 2-1 series. I didn't know which way this one was going to go. The Florida Panthers, down two goals going into the third period. Flip the switch. Here we go, baby. Tie it up, win it in overtime. It was a great game. Tampa Bay scored five goals in the second period. Their most goals in a period in their franchise history. Keith Yandel was a healthy scratch for the first time in his career. Does that end his 
consecutive games played streak? I don't think it does. I'm not sure if the playoffs count. I don't think the playoffs count, but it's interesting that he was a healthy scratch. So he's a scratch. Florida wins. Dragier starts for Florida, gets yanked after the second. Bobrovsky comes in, shuts the door in the third, plays great. Vasilevsky gives up six goals, first time all season. So they score four on him in the first game, six on him in the third game. They obviously know how to score on Vasilevsky. They've figured it out. So maybe the aura surrounding him isn't there during the series just because they face each other so much during the season. I like this series. It's fun. The Battle of Florida, they, ha- they don't have to travel at all. They can ride their bikes to the game for Pete's sake. It's a very, very good series. Have you watched any of it, Tim? Yeah, I did. And, uh, man, Tampa is just so freaking good, and they can just dominate for periods at a time. But the fact that, that they came back, Florida, I mean, this is – it can't be understated how important that win was. You don't come back from 3 nothing against Tampa. And I don't really give them much of a shot to win this series anyway, but the fact that they were down a couple of goals in the third period, came back, got the overtime winner, um, it's just really cool to see. And it just kind of shows that this team doesn't have much quit – I didn't love the um, the penalty call in the third period, like a minute and a half left, um, and someone uh, hits I – fig- I forget who it was. Oh, Duclair hits Stamkos kind of from behind. It was a cross-check, and uh, it was a penalty. So, you know, it, it kind of ended up being fine. They didn't score on it anyway. But they got to be careful of that because Tampa power play is just lethal. I think they were like – I think they had – they were two for two on the night at that point. So, um, super dangerous. And I love to see that, you know, there's no quit in this team. But I don't, I don't give them much of a chance. I almost think – I think Montreal has a better chance of beating Toronto than Florida over Tampa. Well, Florida and – Okay. I'm not even, you know what? I'm not even going to dignify that with an answer. That's asinine. There's no way Florida was the better team this season over Tampa Bay. And I know they get Kucherov back. They make them a different team. Florida was a better team this year than Tampa Bay. They finished ahead of them in the standings. They were second. Tampa Bay was third. So just on that alone, you can't say that it's the same as Toronto, Montreal, Toronto finished like 20 points ahead of Montreal in the standings. They weren't even How'd that go in game one. doesn't matter. Tavares got injured. I guarantee – I will bet you a lot of money that Toronto wins the next four. The next I'll give four. you odds. huh? The next four, Toronto wins. I'm not going to guarantee it. I will bet you 50 bucks. Take next, it. Okay. Right, yeah, I'll take it. Done. You, you heard it here, listeners. 50 Americans. So Montreal wins one game in the series, and one more game in the series, and I win. That's what four in a row means, Tim. Yeah, they okay. oh, can't yeah. win one more. Hello, Man. McFly. Four in a row, baby. They're going to do it. They're going to win four in a row. You're taking advantage of someone who's all loopy on opioids. And you're flexing on me still. I don't like it. Anyways, I want to touch on one more thing, and then we'll sign off. What do you think of all these teams switching goaltenders? We've seen it already in a lot of these different series. Um, Florida's made goaltending change. The Islanders have made goaltending changes. Pittsburgh has not as of yet. Um, the Leafs are most likely going to make one during this playoff series. A lot of these teams are just shifting goaltenders. Do you like that? Do you not like it? Do you just think it's a sign of the times? Do you care at all about this? I just think it's fascinating that the NHL has shifted so far from what it once was like we're gonna ride this guy he's our guy that's it and then all of a sudden now it's not like that we have we have a goaltender by committee thing going on here with a lot of these teams 
I don't love it. It looks a little panicky. It looks a little reactive, too. Because um, I think you end up with, you know, because like we talked about the other day, what if the second goalie goes in and doesn't play well either? Now you've got two goalies who are, whose confidence are shot, right? Um, like the Islanders, they win game one with Sorokin, and he gets the W, and you put Varlamov in for game two. It's just, I don't love that. And I think it kind of the optics of it aren't great. I know the coaches, you know, they know way more than, than we than we can speculate. Um, and you, you never know what goal has got a little tweak or whatever that doesn't get documented. But um, I, I don't love being reactive, especially early in the series. I'd rather see you pick a guy, ride him until until you're in desperation mode, which I don't think you are or should be after one nothing or, or a series tied one-to-one and they're still switching goalies, you know? So the Capitals pretty much face not a life or death game tonight, but it's it's game four. They're down two to one. They've started three goalies in three consecutive games with Craig Anderson, Vitili Vanacek, and then this Elias Samsonov character. They're all three solid goalies. Who do you start in game four? Samsonov. Um, he's the Samsonov. Apparently, that's how you say it. Uh, and we said Sergey Samsonov's name incorrectly all those years. Um, yeah, he's he's was their starting goalie for most of the year. I think he's their 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 ace probably. He played really well in uh, in game three. He got bailed out a couple of times with some big blocks by uh, Oshie and and Brendan Dillon. But I think he's their guy, and I think most likely, barring any injury or blowouts, he's their guy for the rest of the series. Can't say I can argue with that. I'd like to see Anderson just for again. I'm a nostalgic kind of cat. I like Craig Anderson. Good story. But we'll see how this you just turns like, out. You just, like, don't know who anyone is who wasn't in the league since you left it. You're like, who is no, this guy? No, I, I know Samson off. He's a good guy. He's a good player. I know this Vanacek kid. He's he's actually really good. I think Vanacek is their one, and Samson off is their two. But I just think Anderson has the experience. He's been there. He's not going to buckle under pressure. He cool as a cucumber. I don't know. I'm not a coach. Never will be. We'll see how it shakes out. Who do you got tonight, Boston, Washington? Boston. Boston, Washington. Obviously, you're going to say that because you're an absolute homer and makes me sick to my stomach, so much so that I have to go and barf in the toilet. Just kidding, Tim. I love talking to you. love looking at your body. Anyways, anything else? No, no, I'm good. What did you think of JVR interview? It was okay. There's a little, a little, some vanilla answers. He's a nice guy. I liked him, but um, wasn't, you know, wasn't our most exciting interview. It's so funny that during these interviews, because we talked to the guys before and we talked to them after, the most interesting parts of that interview were before we recorded and after we recorded. Yeah. Because we were just talking, like, actually what he thinks. And it, it was actually pretty um, interesting. We can't say, I'm was not going to say anything, but yeah. Was our conversation about Phaneuf after the interview or during the interview? Both. We talked before and after. We're going to get Dion on. It's going to be great. Yeah. I'm going to text him for JVR or uh, Dion's number. Talk about what, when I called him a princess. So it'll be great. It'll be great. <laughs> but all right, everybody. You have a good weekend. I'm excited. My daughter's getting confirmed. It's going to be a great weekend. Go out, have some fun, enjoy the sun, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.